All right, everybody. Once again, we're going to open our Bibles uh, to the book of Daniel. We'll be in chapter 9, verses 20 to 27. Why do we study the Bible every Sunday morning? Why is it so important? Uh, we have Bible studies during the week where we open the Bible up and study. Uh, we have Sunday school where we open up the Bible and we teach our kids what's going through the Bible. And adults, even uh, at the breaking of bread, we open up our Bible and see what uh, is there. Why is the Bible so important to us? Why do we uh, focus on it week after week? Well, here at the chapel, we do believe the Bible is the Word of God. When we study and read it, in a way, it's like God Himself, the Creator of the universe, is talking to us. And when the Creator of the universe talks, you want to listen, don't you? Uh, it would be smart to do that. Why do we believe it's the Word of God? Are we crazy people? Is it just a, a blind faith or some weird thing that uh, we believe that and others don't? Other people that are more uh, have more knowledge or something? Well, there are reasons, very logical reasons, why we believe the Bible is the Word of God. We do take it on faith, but at the same time, there are real logical reasons why we believe that. And one of them is prophecies. Uh, God has spoken. God knows the future. And he has actually revealed things to people, the future, before they happened. And many of those prophecies are in the Bible, written down, physically written, uh, before they ever happened. And then, if those prophecies come true, word for word, as they say they would... Well, that definitely should get everybody's uh, attention. And a logical person would have to say, there is something going on here. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why we believe uh, the Bible to be the Word of God. Uh, a God who knows the future. He knows the end from the beginning. And of course, the book of Daniel, there's many prophecies in the book of Daniel. Uh, and we've already looked at some of them. We've seen a prophecy where there was a statue, and each part of the statue represented a nation that would come along, and that was given before those nations came along, before they existed. Uh, and it all came to be exactly as was told by God. Uh, again, we got uh, another revelation where um, it wasn't a statue this time. There were different animals representing different kingdoms, and there was more details given about every single nation there and the nations that would come along and one nation would come along different than another one and uh, there were names given to them and even uh, there would be uh, descriptions of them and we've gone through in detail those uh, looking back we can see how they all came about but remember it was written before it ever happened uh, and you might people might say well you know you could guess about nations you could guess about these things and maybe you'd be right and the bible just happens to be right no way uh, a logical mathematical person would say no think about the odds of all the things that could happen to make a prophecy i was challenged with that long ago someone challenged me well for a prophecy to happen uh what are all the things that have to come true to make that happen and it doesn't take long before you realize it's completely impossible to prophesy the future. You might think uh, you can make some good guesses. No, even general uh, prophecies are just about impossible. Uh, and that's why we don't see prophecies everywhere being fulfilled all the time by everybody. 
And a prophecy that's given, even a specific one that comes true, is an amazing thing. Outside of our time domain, uh, there is something more going on here. And that is what we're looking at when we open the book of Daniel. We have seen prophecies that have come true, and history shows that they came true exactly word for word, exactly what God said. What we're going to look at today is another prophecy. Some of them, uh, what some people have said, uh, might be the most amazing prophecy in the entire Bible. I don't know how you rate them. There's a lot of very good ones in here and amazing ones, but this is an amazing one. And I am very excited this morning to share uh, with you uh, what I found here in the book of Daniel. So let's get right to it. Daniel chapter 9, verse 20 <clears throat> says, Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of God, while I was still speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. All right, so Daniel, once again, whenever we find Daniel doing something, what's the common thing that he does all the time? He's praying. And uh, we talked uh, last Sunday, we spent the whole time talking about his prayer. He actually gives us the things that he was praying about, a great study on prayer last week. I just want to point out here, uh, do you see all the words that he uses to describe prayer? He was praying What was he doing? He says, I was speaking. He was speaking to God. He was praying. He was confessing my sin and confessing the sin of his people. And he was uh, still speaking in prayer. And he was extremely weary. And it was all about the time of the evening offering. And he was making his supplication. Also, he mentions it there. He describes prayer in many different ways here. He was praying, he was speaking, he was bringing his supplications to God. He was confessing himself and confessing for his nation. Uh, Prayer was a big part of Daniel's life. And it wasn't just one particular thing. When we say prayer, uh, I think in Daniel's mind it was a lot of different things. uh, But it was all some sort of communication with God. Daniel was close to God. He talked to God a lot. Out loud sometimes he was speaking. Sometimes he would be confessing, sometimes bringing his requests, his supplications to God. But he had a a relationship with God, and he was praying to God. And what was he praying about Uh, before the Lord my God on behalf of the holy mountain of God? Jerusalem. He had Jerusalem in mind while he was praying. And again, last week we looked at a lot of the details of that prayer. You know, one thing he said last week we read, uh, he said, oh God, don't delay. Don't delay in answering this. Don't delay in what you're about to do. Well, talk about not delaying. What happens while he is praying? Well, he hasn't even said amen yet. What happens? Uh, While I was still speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme Weariness. How's that for an answer to prayer before you even say amen? Uh, the angel Gabriel, here he calls him the man Gabriel, interesting. Uh, but Gabriel had already visited uh, Daniel and given him some information, and now he's back. And we're going to see what, Daniel, uh, what Gabriel has to say, ultimately what God has to say to Daniel. 
here. Uh, he was extremely weary. Weary of what? You know, I think he prayed so much, and we read, we've read earlier in these visions and stuff when he saw them, it made him like sick and weary. It was really hard for him. And again, he's praying and he's weary. It's almost like he wrestles in prayer. His prayer was like came from the bottom of his heart and his soul, and his body was tired from praying. Uh, he prayed so much. Uh, so in your, if you try to picture him praying in your mind, which we should be doing as we go through Daniel, it's not more of a guy that's, oh, he's praying. He's tired. He's wrestling in prayer. He's given it all that he got, and he's extremely weary here. Interesting, he says it's the time of the evening offering. Were they doing the evening offering in Jerusalem? They were not. Probably uh, almost about 70 years now, they had not been doing that. Uh, there was no evening offering yet. In Daniel's mind, he still remembered every day when the evening offering would have been. And uh, maybe his prayer uh, kind of went along with that. And he thought about that while he was praying. He gave me instruction and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. So Gabriel has some things to tell Daniel. And uh, these are exciting things. I think Gabriel's excited uh, to tell him this. Um Notice Daniel says he gave me instruction. Uh, some of the things he's saying are instruction. Some is just uh, information and some is understanding. Uh, he does all of those things. Oh, Daniel, I've come forth to give you insight with understanding. And then this phrase, which I really have come to, to think is a, a great phrase here. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued. We're about to see an amazing prophecy that starts on an exact day. And God's going to give some things that will happen in an exact timeline. Uh, that's just amazing. Uh, there will be a command given. There will be things happening. And it's gonna, we're going to actually talk about prophecy clear to the very end of everything uh, in what Gabriel is about to say. And what put all of that in motion, all of these things that are going to happen, the decree and all these other things, what put it in motion, what started everything, I don't know for sure, but what does Gabriel say here? At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued. Wow. Daniel got on his knees to pray. And what happened at that moment in time when he started praying? Gabriel tells him there was a command issued. I don't know if this was exactly the command that we're going to talk about later, the human command. It seems to me like there was a command from God in heaven. It's like God and the angels were ready. We're going to start on this amazing prophecy. We're going to start on a journey that's going to take us right to the day that Jesus comes into Jerusalem, dies on the cross to make atonement for the iniquity of the world and leads us eventually into a seven-year tribulation period that leads into the kingdom on this earth. All that's going to happen, and it's going to start on a day, a day that God sends the angels out and everyone to start doing this. And when is the point where it's all going to start? The point where one man got on his knees and prayed. 
That's just amazing. Is prayer powerful? Some of these thoughts I'm kind of adding just to my own thoughts here, but it just seems like God in heaven was waiting for someone to pray. And that put into motion an amazing set of events that would bring salvation to the world and, and just amazing stuff. All because one man prayed. Does that make you want to pray? I hope it does. Who knows what powerful things could happen when you pray? When you humble yourself before God and pray. Pray about big things. Pray about small things. Pray for nations. Pray for people. Pray for big things. And you know what? Maybe heaven's just waiting for you to pray. To start something. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued. And I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. <clears throat> wow, that's an amazing thing. Who would like an angel sent from God to say that about you? Uh, a great thing. So give heed to the message and gain understanding. Well, everybody, I'm going to say to you, I want you to give heed to this message. And let's see if we can gain some understanding this morning from what Gabriel, Gabriel told Daniel. And here it is. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. <clears throat> Seventy weeks. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Now when Daniel was praying, what did he have in mind? He had in mind the end of the 70 years that Jeremiah had talked about. He had mentioned several times actually in Jeremiah. And he was thinking about physically going back to Jerusalem, rebuilding the city, and, you know, things like that, the, the Jews coming back there. That was on his mind, um, at least from his prayers. Uh, we know that mostly was there. Well, God's going to answer this in a much bigger, grander scheme. Yes, they're going to go back, and that's going to be part of this, but there's going to be much bigger things happening uh, that are going to expand to much more time frame and much uh, wilder stuff than that. Seventy weeks, seventy weeks. Uh, the word here, weeks, uh, the Hebrew word is for seven. Uh, it could just say seventy sevens. It doesn't have to be the word week. Uh, seventy sevens have been decreed for your people and your holy city. So seventy sevens, what is this talking about? Well, Daniel, what was on his mind again during his prayer? And remember, he's still kind of in the middle of his prayer uh, and all this. He was thinking about years, 70 years, uh, remember. So the word 70 went along with 70 years uh, that his people would come back. Uh, 70 weeks or 77s have been decreed for your people. We're talking about a time frame here. Are we talking about weeks, days, years, things like that? Well, it's very common for the Jewish people to think of things in groups of seven. Uh, remember, the Sabbath was every seventh day. Uh, every seventh year would be a Sabbath year, and that was a very important thing to God. And it was supposed to be to them also, every seventh year. So thinking in groups of seven years was very common to them. Seven years, then another seven years, another seven years. Groups of seven years uh, would ver be very common. And what was the reasons, uh, what was one of the reasons they went into captivity? 
Well, God made it clear it's because they were ignoring uh, the seven-year Sabbath. They were not doing things they were supposed to do every seven years. And how many times had they done that? Well, it seems like they had violated that 70 times. Interesting, and these numbers keep popping up uh, 70 times. So anyway, 77s have been decreed for your people, 77s. And what's being talked about, Daniel probably had in mind years, okay, groups of seven years. And 70 of those, 77s have been decreed for your people. To do what? Oh, by the way, decreed for your people in your holy city. The previous uh, prophecies in Daniel, what were they about? They were about the Gentiles mainly, right? The Gentile nations, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Uh, But now, this is not about the Gentile nations. This is a different prophecy. We've got to remember that as we go through it. Um, This is for your people, the Israelites, and your holy city, Jerusalem. Clearly Jerusalem. So these prophecies are about the Israelites or the Jews, and about Jerusalem. And then he makes a list of things. This is about uh, 77s, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make an atonement for iniquity. Wow, those are some pretty big things. Transgressions, sins, and iniquity, all different words to describe similar things, but a little different, different types of sins. To finish transgression, to make an end of sin, an atonement for iniquity. Well, when you hear the word atonement for iniquity, what do a lot of you think of? Probably Jesus Christ and him dying on the cross to make an atonement for our sins, the sacrifice needed for our sins, for our iniquity. And this definitely, I believe, is talking about that and more probably as well. But uh, this is looking ahead to not just Jerusalem being rebuilt, but further, much further down the road to Jesus himself making an atonement for iniquity. There's going to be a time, Daniel, when there's going to be an end of sin. An end of sin. Well, what time was Daniel in at the time? Well, they were in captivity. Why? Because of sin. Could we say that's a time of sin? Their transgressions and their sins And God was saying there's going to be an end of sin. And maybe he's thinking, well, it just means the end of our captivity. But it seems like God's talking about a much bigger, broader thing here as well. To finish transgression, to make an end. I mean, an end of sin. This this sounds like almost beyond all that. Beyond everything, all the way to the kingdom age here on earth. uh, An end of sin and an atonement for iniquity. So whatever he's about to talk about is big. And uh, there's going to be a time where sin is ended, transgression is finished, and there's an atonement for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. Wow. Does that sound like a good thing? Uh, To bring in everlasting righteousness. True, real righteousness. The kind that comes from God and everlasting righteousness. To bring that in. Does that sound like a good thing to have here on this earth? It does. That sounds to me like the kingdom in the future, a time when everlasting righteousness will actually be brought in. To seal up vision and prophecy. There are many visions and prophecies about the future, and many of them are about the millennial kingdom here on earth. Well, there's a time when all those visions and prophecies will come true, every one of them, exactly how God states them to be. 
to anoint the most holy place. In Ezekiel uh, 40 to 44, it talks about a temple uh, in the millennial kingdom and even a time when it's consecrated and anointed, the most holy place anointed. It sounds like these things are talking about that. Let's move on and maybe this will help us go back and, and understand those previous verses too. So, verse 25, so you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks or seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. So here we have an amazing thing. Uh, We have a prophecy. Let me go back here. We have a prophecy, 70 weeks, 70 sevens. That's a number, 77. So what's 70 times 7? Math students, 490, okay. That's a number. God's given a number here. This is not a vague prophecy about some mystical weird thing. He is giving a number, and it's a time frame. He's saying this is the number, the time for something to happen. What's going to happen to do all that list of things right there? And you might think, wow, that's a number. I wonder when it begins. Well, here it is in the next verse. You are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. 490 years, where does it start? A decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. If we go back and look at Ezra and Nehemiah, we can see a few different decrees there. Uh, many ones in Ezra were a decree to go build the temple again. Most of them were that and focused on other things. But there is one in Nehemiah chapter 2 uh, that is a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Um, there is someone, uh, Sir Robert Anderson wrote a book a while ago called The Coming Prince. He studied this prophecy we're looking at right here. He checked into the dates. He tried to figure out historical dates and what's and what everything was, and he figured that in Nehemiah 2, when it said the month of Nisan, which is what it says right there in your Bible, um, he figured that to be the year 444 B.C., and it would actually have happened on March 14th. Uh, So we have a date, March 14th, 445 B.C., a day in time. And how many weeks are we talking about here? Well, he said 70 weeks. Now we're going to get into some more details here. So the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. There will be, and we have more numbers, seven weeks or seven sevens and 62 sevens. Okay, so the time from that until Messiah the Prince is going to be Seven weeks plus 62 weeks. Seven weeks. Well, seven times seven is uh, 49 years. All right, so we have 49 years there. So we start with a decree in Nehemiah 2 uh, to rebuild Jerusalem. And then we go 49 years from then. Uh, And by the way, remember, this is all prophecy. (laughs) All future hadn't happened yet. Uh, The decree hadn't actually happened yet. Uh, to restore Jerusalem. So anything happening at all to fulfill this would be an amazing thing that shows that God knows what he's talking about. The decree did come. 
And what happened 49 years after the decree? Well, it took a long time uh, to build Jerusalem the way it says here. It says with plaza and moat. Plaza would be an inside area. Moat sounds like there's a, a lot of ways to translate that word, but all those words have to do with outside the wall. So things inside the wall and outside the whole city uh, built. How long did that take? Well, it sounds like it takes took about 49 years uh, to do. So God said there would be a decree, and yes, there was a decree. Uh, he said it would be uh, seven sevens, whatever that meant. Well, it took about 49 years uh, to accomplish rebuilding all of that. But then after that, there'll be another 62 weeks. So 62 times seven, that's 434 years. And we're supposed to add those two together. So uh, the time from the decree to rebuild to Messiah the Prince is how many years? Well, we add 434 plus 49. Anyone getting their calculator out? Turn your calculator on on your, on your phone there. You can if you want to. We're going to do some more math. Check my math, everybody. See, see if it's right. Yes, we're doing math at a, at a church service. Kids, you say in math class, we'll never use this in the real world. Here we are at church on Sunday morning. Uh, who came up with the numbers? God did. I think this is really exciting to calculate God's numbers and uh, see where it goes. Okay, so if we add 434 plus 49, what do we get? Okay, 483 years. Uh, okay, if we're going to figure out, uh, I want to note, are you guys curious to know from that day in time what's exactly 483 years later? Because it says there's a time here, an exact time. What happens right then? I want to know. Well, if we try to figure that out, it gets kind of confusing because there's a lot of things you have to factor in. Uh, how many days are in a year, everybody? Yell it out, everybody. I'm hearing different things. Don't you guys know how many days are in a year? <laughs> 365, yeah, we had a quarter, but some of you are saying, it's even different than that. Well, what do we do about that? I got to do some great studying on this. Uh, I was so excited to take this passage, and I was really excited to look at these numbers. If you go back to Genesis and you look at the flood, there are many dates given. Do all the math back there. Yes, math again in the, in the, the Bible. And you realize all the months were 30-day months back then according to God's prophetic timeline. And uh, you put that together, and you have a year that's 360 days. 360-day year. And then you jump ahead to, uh, if you look at Daniel 7, what, how, how long is the Great Tribulation in Daniel 7? It's three and a half years. According to Revelation 13, the Great Tribulation is 42 months. According to Revelation 12, the Great Tribulation is 1,260 days. You guys got your calculators out? Did you figure all that? Well, if you do the math, guess how many days are in a month there? 30 days. How many days are in a year? 360 days. From the very beginning, Genesis to Revelation, it seems like God's prophetic timeline, and that's the important one, <laughs> uh, has a year being 360 days. All right? And so, 360 days is what we should figure our year to be. How do we jive that with our cal calendar and timeline and figure out where this day is? 
Well, one of the easiest things to do is you just multiply 483 years times 360 days. And you get 173,880 days. Right, everybody? Hopefully you're checking my math there. Uh, I double-checked several times. Uh, so there you go. That's the amount of days. What happens that amount of days from uh, March 14th, 445 B.C. to then? Even figuring that out actually turns out to be a little complicated as well. That's why this guy wrote a whole book on it. Sir Robert Anderson, the coming prince, wrote a whole book. The details are there. Go read it uh, sometime. But he figured out, um, you know, that gets us kind of close to a time frame when uh, Jesus entered Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, which according to his uh, historical records, he looked into Passovers when those were, and uh, he could follow that and make a chronology and stuff, and he figured out the triumphal entry to be uh, April 6, 32 A.D., but you know what? That's not exactly 173,880 days. So he did some research and he did some thinking. And uh, he realized, you know what? Wait a minute. B.C. and A.D., do you realize those are the same year? 1 B.C. and 1 A.D. is the same year. Uh, I had to think about that for a bit, but then it clicked. I'm like, oh, yes, because when you're halfway through the B.C., you're already halfway into the 1 A.D. So anyway, take away a year. Uh, so take those day aways, those days away. Are you guys calculating this on your calculators? No? Well, take that away. You know what? That gets us pretty close. But we're still a little ways off. That, that's not exactly that many days to the triumphal entry. Again, how many days are in a year according to our calendar? Well, we have leap years, don't we? Every four years, uh, we add a day. So that actually affects all of that. And if you do all that math, whoa, that gets you really close to the exact day that the decree went out, to the day of the triumphal entry. It's only three days off. Three days, and that's amazing. Uh, could you prophesy anything that would happen, you know, 500 years from now and be within three days of it? That's an amazing prophecy, isn't it? I'm not done yet. God isn't just amazing. <clears throat> He's very precise. Anybody out there, and I'm guessing maybe two of you in this audience are thinking about the Earth's orbit right now, aren't you? Yeah? Maybe? Uh, a leap year doesn't really account uh, for everything. The Earth's orbit actually is 1 128th, uh, a little uh, different than what we do with our calendar. So every 128 years, if you're going to be precise, which God is pretty precise, isn't he? He's the one that put the earth in orbit around the sun. Uh, he knows exactly how long it takes. If you figure that in, guess what? That takes three days off of your number. And guess how many days that is? 173,800. And 80. God said that there is a day in time and exactly 173,880 days later, Messiah, uh, the prince, would come. And that was the day of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. 
the day. Not the month, not the year, but the day that it actually happened. Uh, that's an amazing prophecy, folks. You can't guess that. Uh, there's no human uh, way to, to explain that away. That's a prophecy from God himself. The people that say that there's no God in the Bible is not the word of God. The only option they have is to say, to try and mix up some history. So there's a lot of that there. And they also might uh, say, Daniel didn't write it. It had to be written later on because it's too accurate. It's so accurate that uh, we just can't accept it. So we just have to say that it's written later on. Well, of course, when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, a lot of those people stopped talking because there is eight copies of Daniel in the old Dead Sea Scrolls, which is an amazing thing there. But uh, we could go on and on here, um, but this is a very exciting prophecy. I will add that someone from Dallas Theological Seminary did go back and double-check all of Sir Robert Anderson's work. Uh, he agreed on everything, but except the starting date, he said was actually one year different, 444 B.C., but he said also the day of the triumphal entry was one year off as well, which means it was still exact to the day. Both of them confirmed the exact number of days between the decree and Messiah the Prince, Jesus Christ, entering Jerusalem. That's, that's, a, that's the hand of God right there. Uh, that's an amazing prophecy <clears throat> here in the Bible. The other prophecy is amazing. As I thought more about it, I think maybe this is even more amazing. Uh, the prophecy doesn't end there. It says then. Then after. Those are two very key words. Then after. What happens happens after the 69th week? And notice it's 69 weeks so far, not 70 yet. 69. After 60, the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. That definitely speaks of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now, how can you make a prophecy that says the day that a prince will come in to a town, Jerusalem, a prince, and everyone's like worshiping him, and just a few days later, he would die on a cross? I think that's even the more amazing part of this prophecy. Uh, the Messiah, the Prince, would be cut off. The words cut off in the Bible uh, definitely mean to die, and many times it's by ex- execution or some sort of uh, uh, something going on where someone's being punished, and uh, the punishment is death. The Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. This is a prophecy written uh, hundreds of years before it ever happened that Jesus would die on the cross. God planned all this out, the triumphal entry and the death on the cross. Why did he have to die on the cross? Well, to accomplish what he said before, to make atonement for iniquity. It's him dying on the cross that would make all those other things possible. The end of sin, uh, to bring in everlasting righteousness, seal of vision and prophecy, uh, all these things uh, could come about because Jesus died on the cross and it was all prophesied long before it ever happened. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and sanctuary. Its end will come with a flood, even to the end. There will be war, desolations are determined. This speaks pretty clearly of the time after Jesus in AD 70, when Jerusalem was destroyed. The city was completely leveled like a flood uh, when the Roman leader Titus came in 
and, uh, and killed thousands of people, leveled the city, and just like Jesus predicted, not one stone was left on another. This is more of the prophecy that came exactly true in the order that he said it would. And remember, this is not the 70th week yet. This is after the 69 weeks. This is showing there's a time between the 69 weeks and the last week. And that's what we get to in the last verse here. He will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. On the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So here we have the final week. If you're doing the math and keeping track here, you should be thinking, wait, we still have one week to go. Well, we've done the first 69 weeks. That came with Jesus entering the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Then he died on the cross. Now we're in the church age and we're, we're waiting for the final week. When will the final week start? Well, he will make a firm covenant with many. There will be a covenant with the people of Israel. Uh, this is talked about also in um, Revelation and uh, in Matthew 24, where Jesus speaks of these things as well. There will be a covenant for one week or one seven years, uh, one seven. This will be the final one, the final seven. It sounds like it will be a good covenant at first, uh, People will say it's peace. Apparently, they will start the sacrifice again. And uh, in Jerusalem, they will be sacrificing using the temple. But halfway through, three and a half years through, uh, that will end. And everything will turn backwards. He will put a stop to the sacrifice and the grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. More details about that in Matthew 24 and Revelation. Uh, but we have the Antichrist here. We have an idol being set up in the temple, and we have worship of him. And if you don't, uh, then you're persecuted and probably killed. Uh, the one who makes desolate, even until, and when will all this end? What's going to happen at the very end? A complete destruction, one that is decreed. And by the way, when we look at prophecies, you have to realize that this is all decreed by God. Decreed by God which is a powerful thing. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. That would be the Antichrist. I think also there's a good chance uh, that the, the prince to come here and this person uh, behind them is Satan. And Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire uh, at the end. And that is decreed. And uh, that will be poured out on the one who makes desolate. God has a plan. Will God's plan come to be? Will it come true? <laughs> the answer is in prophecies, folks. And this isn't just a blind faith. This isn't some spiritual thing. If you're a logical person, you have to see that these things were written before they ever happened. And there is a God who reveals the future. Uh, and that's an amazing thing. And that's, like I said, why we can believe that the Bible is the word of God. <clears throat> Many other prophecies that have come true and when you realize that, and you realize part of the prophecy hasn't come true, you realize, oh, this will come true, exactly as it says, word for word, like God said it will. We can be sure of that. It will come true. Makes me want to read the Bible more when I think about this. Hopefully it makes you want to do that too. What else is in here? If this is truly God's word, we need to read it and we need to know it.
God has a plan, and it included the Messiah coming into Jerusalem to big shouts and joy and worship and him dying on a cross just a few days later. Why did he do that? To make atonement for sin. God has a plan, and it included him dying on the cross for our sins. That's a great thought, that his plan, his plan will happen. We can be sure of that. And his plan involves saving all of us, and we can be thankful for that today. God knew what would happen. 183,000, uh, whatever it was, uh, days. What will happen in your life 243 days from now? Do you know? I know someone who does know. God does. 342 days from now, what will you be doing? God knows. 2,981.3. He knows that too. He knows everything. So uh, I think my conclusion in this passage is the same one I came to earlier on in Daniel. What's our, our best application of all this? Pray. Stay close to God, the one who knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. Pray to him, just like Daniel did. And uh, that would be a good application. Let's pray right now. God in heaven, we thank you that you have a plan. Thank you that your plan involves saving all of us from our sins, Lord. Thank you that we can know that your plans will come true, uh, your prophecies will, and uh, that we can look forward to someday everlasting righteousness happening on this earth and that we can be a part of that too, Lord. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for Jesus Christ. And uh, do help us to pray, Lord, and stay close to you, the one who knows the end from the beginning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.